The picture you see on the screen behind you depicts the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. It's kind of one of the um, marvels of the biological world, I guess you'd say, and I'm sure at some point uh, in all of our lives, we've probably delved into this process, possibly around year five or six in some science lesson in the primary school classroom. Um, but as a recap, um, we have our caterpillar here. He spends his life sort of hanging out on a plant, munching up every leaf he can see. And when the time comes, he wraps himself up in uh, this stage here, this little chrysalis um, or cocoon. Um, he hangs out for a couple of weeks, pun intended. And then he decides at some point to escape and uh, transform himself into this beautiful new creation that is a butterfly. If you go a little bit deeper into the process, it's quite fascinating what happens in this transformation. The caterpillar, what he ends up doing is wraps himself in the cocoon and he begins to secrete an enzyme from within his body which breaks down the cells of his body. And it breaks his entire body down to a point where if you broke this, this cocoon open halfway through the process, please don't, but if you did, it would just ooze out goo. And so it's not just so much a caterpillar growing wings, but a complete breaking down of the body of a caterpillar to a point where his cells become essentially things called stem cells and recreate themselves into a com completely new creation called the butterfly. We're going to come back to this a bit later, but bear with me because in today's passage, 1 Peter, um, <clears throat> 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11, we ask the question what it is to live as a new creation in Christ and uh, to be done with sin and, for, and to not live for earthly desires anymore. So let's get into the passage, 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11, and it reads, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give accounts to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so for the last few weeks as we've worked our way through Peter, we've <clears throat> been talking about, uh, or Peter has been writing to this community that is undergoing and undertaking suffering and giving them some advice. Uh, and he does that today and continues to do that today in this passage. So the first little bit, the first little nugget of advice that I find here 
is that we are to arm ourselves also with the same attitude. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. So this, to me, begs the question, well, what was the attitude of Christ towards suffering? So why not have a look? We're going to go now to Matthew chapter 26. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is living his last few hours before he is to be arrested uh, and taken for crucifixion. And what he does is he takes three disciples with him to the garden and he decides to pray. One of the reasons I really like using this passage here with 1 Peter is because one of those disciples that is with Peter in the garden, uh, with Jesus in the garden, is Peter himself. And so this experience of being with Jesus in the lead up to this moment of suffering must have shaped him in some way, shape, or form. And so on the screen are a few quotes or, or lines of Jesus uh, while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says this first to his, his disciples, including Peter, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And finally, in his prayers, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. So what is his attitude? Well, it's quite plain. He's grieved. He says to Peter himself, I'm grieved to the point of death. He seems in some sense to be in an inner turmoil, wrestling out with these feelings of, of, of what is coming. He says he's grieved. He pleads with his father to take the cup with him. And so for Peter to see this, it must have shaped his attitude to, to his advice towards us to suffering. What I think we can see here is Peter's not asking us to, to not feel the grief, not feel the pain, not feel the struggle of what we are to walk forward into. He witnessed his Christ himself grieve to the point of death about his mission ahead. However, the attitude that he is asking us to adopt is to take this grief, take these feelings and wrestle with the Father in prayer. And most of all, place the will of God as the prime and head motivator of our actions going forward. As Christ does, your will be done. And so the passage carries on. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And so what is this saying to us? Well, this makes sense to me if we look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus wrestled with the earthly desires, but lived for the will of God. When I look at this verse, one caution that I have um, for Christian life uh, when thinking about this idea of being done with sin or not, not living for evil human desires, one caution I have for Christian life is that what this verse does not mean is that through the Christian life, all your problems of earthly sin and temptation will eventually dissipate and evaporate and we will be free to walk with God without any distractions pulling us this way and that. That's not really the description of Christian life that we get from Christ. It's not really the description of the Christian life that we get from the Bible. The description that we get is a wrestle. Christ had these temptations, these, these things that he needed to wrestle with. 
and he took them to the Father in prayer. The story of Jacob in Genesis, we see Jacob wrestle with God. He is given the name of Israel, and the name Israel literally means one who wrestles with God. And so the, the description of the Christian life that I see we get is one that is a wrestle. It's not an easy, it's not an easy walk. It is a wrestle. We're going to go back to the butterfly. The transformation of the butterfly is, is such a fascinating uh, biological phenomenon that uh, some biologists wanted to try and figure out a little bit more about what happens in this process here. And so what they did, they wanted to see what the butterfly carries through to its life from being a caterpillar. And so what they did, and this is, you know, it may come off a little cruel, and it probably is, but what they did is they would release a scent or a pheromone to the caterpillar and its caterpillar life, followed by an electric shock. Now, please don't take away from the sermon that we should go and try and electrocute caterpillars to try and figure out if this is true or not. Let's just trust that it happened, and it wasn't that great poor caterpillar, um, but we got it, something interesting came out of it. So they did this to the point where the caterpillar was conditioned that it would become anxious and agitated when the scent was released, okay, regardless of the shock or not. It was conditioned to expect the shock, so it became anxious and agitated. Eventually, the caterpillar got itself into its cocoon, did its two-week thing, came out as a completely new creation as a butterfly. However, what the scientists found was that when they released the pheromone, the scent, to the butterfly, the vast majority of butterflies continued to become agitated and anxious when the scent was there. There's some sense that the trauma that the caterpillar felt, regardless of the complete and utter breakdown of its body and itself in the cocoon, the trauma was carried across to a point where it still affected it as this new creation. And I think we too are like this butterfly. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. We're living in freedom from the clutches of death that sin brought with it. But we're not immune to the temptations. We're not immune to going down that line again. Uh, we live in a world surrounded by temptations. We live in a world surrounded uh, by things to pull us off the path of, of following Christ. And, and um, suffering is, is not the only thing. Uh, and I know myself that, that the trauma of, it's kind of like spiritual trauma of a sinful life before Christ carries through and continues to play in my life and, and tempt me to pull me one way in that. Um, Peter, in his letter, brings up a few of these things in the world. He talks about this uh, living, for, living for sexual immorality or uh, living for drunkenness or idolatry. He brings these things up. And when I look at things like that, about this idea of lust or drunkenness, when I look at these things, this list that Peter puts out there, one thing that strikes me is it's, it's a type of impulse living. It's a type of living that looks to satisfy the feelings of the moment. And I think for us living in this world today, you know, we really don't have to look that far to find philosophies of the world that say, we should not deny our feelings. We should affirm our feelings. And to affirm your feelings, uh, to deny your feelings, is to deny your true self. I was at Bethlehem Baptist Church about a month ago, uh, which is where my wife grew up and went to church, and I was uh, listening to Craig Vernal preach a few weeks back. And, uh, and he had this line 
in his sermon that he said he continued to repetitively tell his kids when they were growing up. And that line was this, our feelings are very real, but are not necessarily true. And I would say, if we did not have a guiding force, the the light of Christ to follow and direct us with an eternal plan of, of life with him, then why not follow your feelings? It makes a lot of sense. But that's not that's not our call. We are called in the face of these feelings and all the turmoil that runs within us that wants to pull us this way and that to bring these feelings to God and wrestle him with them and then go and make his will for us as the prime motivator of our actions going forward. Now I'm a high school teacher um, and one thing that I remember from teachers college is that when you're trying to deal with behaviour of students, don't spend too much time telling them what not to do, spend time telling them what to do. Um, And so I can see a few people in the room here nodding that are teachers, yep, we all know that, okay? So it's, it's no good just telling people what not to do, we have to tell them what to do. And so maybe Peter was a high school teacher, I don't know, but he decides to do this at the end of this verse as well, so... Loving Peter right now, he's, uh, he's speaking to my teacher heart. And so he finishes with a whole bunch of really positive statements about how to walk forward and how to, how to do what Christ would have us do. And so I'm just going to come up with, um, with three quick things here um, that, that he tells us is critical to walking through suffering. He tells this, this community that is walking through suffering if you are to not live for earthly desires, if you, to are, if you are to put those aside, then these things you are to do. First thing, pray. He says, be alert and sober and of sober mind so that you may pray. And Jesus' last action in his wrestle was to draw aside and pray to the Father. This is of a critical mind to Peter when he thinks about walking through suffering. In Gethsemane, Jesus comes back to his disciples after he's gone off to pray for a bit, and uh, he finds them asleep. And Jesus says to them, couldn't you men watch me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It just speaks to me that there's something about these words that Jesus said to Peter that is etched in his advice today, that we are to pray so that we do not fall into temptation. Jesus spent his last hours wrestling in prayer with God and taking this turmoil inside him and speaking with God and making sure that the will of God was the prime motivator of his action. The second thing is to love one another. He says, he says in this verse, above all, love one another. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time uh, on love one another, and that is not because I don't think it's very important. The reason I'm not going to spend too much time is because it's so important that the street's going to do a whole series on it for our next series called One Another. And so it really speaks to to the heart of our church and where our church is at at the moment to say, we need to dig into loving one another. What I think this means in the context of this verse is we can't do this walk alone. There is no way we can do this walk alone. There is no way that we can draw aside and figure this stuff out as an individual. Why do we think Jesus took three disciples with him to pray? He needed that community. He needed his brothers there to help him through. And so I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this, uh, this series that's coming up next. And, uh, and there's going to be some awesome stuff about how, as a church, 
we can, one, we can love one another. Lastly, some of the key verses that I see is just this word here, back yourself. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 4 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Back yourself. Do we realize that we have the words of God on our lips? Do we realize that we have the strength of God on our hands? I know I spend a lot of time talking about earthly desires and temptations and being pulled this way and that, but this is not a message uh, to create a timid people. This is not a message of fear. This is not a message to be worried. This is a message to say, yes, these things exist in our life. We need to be cognizant of them, and we need to take them to God and wrestle with them and find his will. But Peter calls us to walk forward, and he calls us to speak with the power of God on our lips, to serve with the strength of God in our hands. This is a message of action, and it's a message of walking forward. It is not a message of fear, and it is not a message to create timidity or to create passiveness. And from this, I think we can <clears throat> derive great confidence. And so as I, as I pray now, uh, <clears throat> I think to myself, and, and I pray and I only, I only think this because I've thought this of myself before. But if there's anyone out there that is sitting there thinking, I must wait for these feelings and this turmoil in myself to pass before I act and before I step out and before I do the things that God has for me. I don't think this message is that. I think this message is a message to say, take these things to God and wrestle with him and find his will and be confident in yourself back yourself to step out, that he will give you the words of power that you need, and he will give you the strength in your hands to face whatever challenges and whatever turmoil is ahead of you, that it is a message of power and strength that God will provide. So Lord, I just pray right now that, that our church would know that, church would know your love, our church would know your love and draw into loving one another that we would pray and take these struggles towards you, that we would love one another, we would serve one another in community and, and draw these struggles together and know that you love us and that you have a power for us to walk forward into. You have a power for us to do your work because when we speak your word and when we act with your strength, people must ask questions of what is happening there. And in that moment, we can glorify you, Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen.